very good to be back with you, and to uh, those who are worshiping online, we give you a greeting as well, and uh, pray that throughout our time as we sing, as we pray, as we open up God's Word, that we all participate in together as one church family, no matter uh, where we might be uh, today. Uh, as we begin, I want to give a word of appreciation to Tim Montgomery. When I was on vacation, he uh, filled the pulpit. He preached in my absence a tremendous message from the book of Colossians about a heavenward perspective, even in a difficult time. And I just thought it was a, a powerfully uh, tremendous uh, message for us in the time of uncertainty that we live in. So I appreciate him for that. Also, a thank you to our, our kid men staff with Brad and Judy and Sharon inviting the Seeds family worship team to be here present with us last Sunday. It was really uh, tremendous. It was inspirational. And I know our families enjoyed having uh, this ministry here with us in person. So I appreciate uh, uh, them as well. Today we have a couple of other special emphases that are happening. The first will take place as soon as I'm done preaching. We're going to have a time of commissioning. Two of our families, the Cox family and the Leonard family, you've probably heard by now, have been called to start a new church and to church, uh, excuse me, to do a church plant on the campus of Missouri Baptist University, specifically to reach college students. And so we are uh, certainly uh, encouraged by them. We stand with them. We want to uh, uh, commission them in prayer today. But uh, as uh, I've shared also with the early service, we will be having opportunities to roll up our sleeves and assist them in some very practical ways. Uh, they're going to have a, a soft launch next week where they're going to uh, have a worship service and gather together their core team, and then in the coming weeks, they will, they will begin this new church. And so, I don't know about you, but when I think about university students, and I, I think about that season of life where so many big major decisions are being made, uh, to know that there will be another opportunity for students to connect not only to, uh, to a church, but, but to connect to the Lord and to, to be seeking after Him and following Him in those critical days. And so to be able to do that right there on the campus is, is tremendous. And so we are behind them and with them. And, and so that will take place at the end of the message today. We'll be uh, praying over uh, both of these families. And then uh, we also, for the third consecutive week, we have a baptism today, and so that is also just just so encouraging, and so we'll have that as a way to, to wrap up the service. But today, uh, I want to invite your attention to Romans chapter 12, as, uh, as we uh, were told earlier by Harrison, this will be the text for today, verses 1 and 2, and uh, the, the big idea, the big question for us that we'll be asking is, what is our reasonable response to God's mercy. You know, we sang about His mercy being more. What, what is that response that we have in light of who He is, in light of what He has done in this world and for us individually? What is my response to His mercy? We're going to be looking at a passage that I think is, is familiar to many of us, the first two verses of Romans 12. And what we will see is that Paul is, is, is writing in this letter that, that the response is a commitment to Christ. Not a half-hearted, half-baked commitment, but in light of what Christ has done, giving His whole life, laying His life down for us, providing what we could not provide for ourselves. The only reasonable response to His mercy 
is commitment. Total commitment. Being fully behind him. Having him at the center of all that's taking place in our lives. Yes, when we come to worship, that's part of it. This hour that we're together, that's part of it. But boy, it overflows into everything. That's the total commitment that we're going to see is here in Romans chapter 12. With God being our source, with God being our focus, with Him being our top priority. Now we know that, that life gets busy and it gets hectic even in normal days, right? It can be a very frantic pace. You add to it a pandemic, right? And we might wonder how in the world can we have Him at the center of all this? And I would answer that by saying, wouldn't we want Him at the center of our lives? When the storms are raging, when, when life is, is uncertain, even, it's even more important, I would say, that we consider what it means to be fully committed, fully considering His activity, His presence, His Spirit at work in our lives. I know we, we look at the world around us and we know that, uh, that, uh, that probably every aspect of life has changed. And, and if I were to ask you about your normal routines and rhythms, has, has, has anything stayed the same? I mean, everything, everything has changed. In fact, I was reminded of that. I saw a picture that uh, I think captures the beginning of a new month, the month of August. And uh, we'll look at that here on the screen. Do you think that that's about right? Oh, look, here comes August, right? Uh, here it comes, flaming train. Who, who knows what is in store, right, as we begin uh, the school year here this month? Well, I would just say again, when the storms are blowing all around us, for us to know that we belong to him, that we are in his hands, that God has not been surprised by anything happening around us, nor is he insufficient in being able to direct us and guide us and provide for us as he always has. So I pray that Romans 12 will be, even though it's a familiar passage, will be an encouragement, it will be a reminder for us that even amidst the chaos, that we can have a full commitment, a total focus upon him. So I invite your attention to Romans 12. Let's read the first couple of verses together. It says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. That's Romans 12, verses 1 and 2. As we think about the book of Romans, we know that, that there's a lot in this book. In fact, the first 11 chapters, just to, to think about the context of where these verses are coming from, the, the 11 chapters that precede chapter 12 are very doctrinal. There's a lot of theology as we, as we work through the book of Romans, even some, some uh, very uh, much uh, uh, parts of, of theology that, that, uh, that, are, that are challenging, and yet there is much there that is so encouraging. Just think of Romans chapter 3. It's in Romans 3 that we, we are reminded that we are all sinners, that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But, but we, we, we see that the wages of sin is, is death, but we also know that the gift of God is 
eternal life. And so these beautiful truths come through in the early part of the book of Romans. When we get to to, uh, uh, chapter 5, we learn that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what we saw flowing out of chapter 3 into 4, we now see is, is that Christ is the ultimate peacemaker, bringing humanity in a restored relationship back to the Heavenly Father. So we see that we can be at peace with God. In chapter 8, we learn at the very beginning that there is now no condemnation, right, to those who are in Christ Jesus. Don't you love that verse? No condemnation. We've been forgiven. We are free. There's no guilt. There's no shame. There's no condemnation because of who we are in Christ. We also learn in chapter 8 that there is nothing No, nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So we have all of of this, this doctrinal teaching, this theology that flows into the end of chapter 11. And what do we have? We have a doxology. We have a word of praise. It's as if Paul has has, has said all of these words and he's been reminded of all that God has done. And he then says... In chapter 11, verse 36, for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And don't we feel that welling up within us as we are reminded of all that he has done, of who he is, that this praise begins to flow. So we have the the theology, we have the doxology, and then in chapter 12, we have the the practical application. We have this flow just continue to, to work its way into our minds, into our hearts, into our hands. And that's why, as we look at chapter 12, we see the the call to action. So this morning, as we consider that call, I want to give the first point to our response be the call to total commitment. Total commitment. Again, Paul presents the mercy of God as the great motivator, the motivation for us to respond to him, to give of ourselves. In fact, verse 1, again, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, when we recognize what Christ has done, when we, when we pause and consider the great gift that he has given, we, we understand that, that the only response is to give ourselves fully to him. He is the one that is, that is the grace giver. He is the one who is the dead raiser. He is the one who saves and restores. Without him, how could we ever have hope or assurance? So as we dwell and think about the mercies of God, they motivate us not to have a half-hearted walk with God, not to just give ourselves partially to Him. I can remember in my college days hearing a challenge to, to not be a fence rider, right? To not, not just be in or out, but to be fully engaged, fully following Christ. And we see that here coming out of Romans 12. Where would we be without God's love? Where would we be without his forgiveness? Just think for a moment. If you did not have God's presence in your lives today, where would you be? 
What might your life, what might my life look like if it were not for the grace of God and His presence upon us? Isaac Watts, when he wrote the hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, I think he really encapsulated this thought well in this line. He says, love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. You think he's right? I think he is. He's like, he's responding to the mercy and love of God. And what we see here in verse 1 of Romans 12 is a response that says, in view of these mercies, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Now, I know some versions say the word reasonable service, and, and both are right. This, this word that, that uh, this version has translated true is sometimes translated reasonable. Uh, actually, from the Greek, we get the word logic. And so he's, he, he's really technically saying it's just logical that based upon what we've received from Christ, it's logical that we respond with a living sacrifice. It's logical. It's reasonable. It's true. And then that word worship, sometimes it's translated service. And I think that's, I think that's a healthy way for us to understand worship. Because worship isn't just one hour on a Sunday morning. Worship isn't just the, the private moments that we have with the Lord each day. Worship, in, in fact, encompasses everything. We, we, we learn that whatever it is that we do, we do for the glory of God. And so it's all unto Him. It's all service. It's all worship to Him. But let's move back to the middle of the verse. We see here that it says that we are to present your bodies. And I know when we read that, we present your bodies. This flesh and blood, what is it speaking of? And I, and I think it's more than just the physical. I think he's using this word bodies to say, you are giving your all. You're giving your being. You're giving even your thoughts, your minds, all of it unto him. Now, the early readers of this text would have been thinking about this word sacrifice. And they would have been thinking about it in, in light of even an Old Testament connotation. Thinking about the sacrifices that used to be required in, in the, in the old, in, under the Old Covenant. In the Old Testament, we read that, that people that were coming to worship would at times be called to bring a, a sacrifice. Remember, they'd bring an animal of different types, an unblemished animal that would be a, a representation and would it ultimately be a sacrifice? And we know that it was, it was foreshadowing the Lamb of God who would ultimately come. As the unblemished Lamb who would lay down His life once for all. He would die as that perfect sacrifice. But all the sacrifices leading up to that were, were part of the worship of the Old Testament. So that's what would have been on their minds the people of Israel in particular would be thinking about these animal sacrifices. And yet here we have the expression living sacrifice. Think about the difference there. The Old Testament was bringing an animal that would die. But the New Testament expression is not bringing an animal, but bringing ourselves. 
And we are, we are coming, giving our lives, giving everything unto him. F.F. F. Bruce, a commentator, said, The sacrifices of the new order do not consist in taking the lives of others, like the ancient animal sacrifices, but in giving one's own. So that's us today, giving our lives unto the Lord. Think for a minute about that word sacrifice. Think about the high cost that is associated when something is no longer just convenient, but it is sacrificial. You probably find those, those thresholds being crossed when you, are, when you are helping someone else or serving someone else, that, that it's no longer just something you're doing because it's convenient, but it's, it's what you're called to do, and you're going to even sacrifice with the way that you care for them or provide for them or love them. This is the idea, that, that, our, that our lives are to be a sacrifice. It's not meant to be something that's just a convenient addition to the way we want to live. No, it's a, it's a full-scale offering unto Him. Let me give an example. Back in the Old Testament book of Malachi, which I know our, our students went through earlier this year, Tim took them verse by verse through Malachi, but in Malachi there's a lot of teaching about worship. And there's, there's teaching there because the people of God in that time were... Um, uh, we're not worshiping with, with, with the right heart. In fact, they were, they were griping about it. They were, they were saying how boring it is, how, how, uh, 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 just, just how in, in, in incredibly uh, uh, inconvenient it was. And so they were doing things differently, even the religious leaders. And so as you know, Malachi had a word from God to help identify this issue in their hearts. Here's what it says, Malachi 1, verse 6. A son honors his father, and a servant his master. But if I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is your fear of me? Says the Lord of armies to you priests who despise my name. Yet you ask, how have we despised your name? By presenting defiled food on my altar. How have we defiled you, you ask? When you say the Lord's table is contemptible. Do you hear what's happening? There's like a dialogue going on between the Lord and the religious leaders. And the Lord's saying, your heart's not right. You're not, you're, you're, you are making statements about your worship and, and you're saying it's contemptible. Even in the way that you bring your sacrifice. Look at verse 8. When you present a blind animal for sacrifice, is it not wrong? When you present a lame or sick animal, is it not wrong? Bring it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you or show you favor? Asks the Lord of armies. So what were they doing? They knew they had to bring an animal to worship, and they were saying, ah, get, the, get this lame one. Get the sick one. Pull the blind one out of the flock. He's nothing but trouble anyway to me. I have a hard time working with him, so let's just, let's just bring him and give him as our sacrifice. And through Malachi, the Lord is telling them, I see your heart. And I see that this isn't a sacrifice after all. It's just giving God the leftovers. Now, these types of animals uh, uh, are spoken of in the Old Testament. And we know that the, that, the, that the type of animal they are to bring is unblemished. Now, why would they have to bring an unblemished animal? Can you think for a moment about that? Because it's foreshadowing the unblemished Lamb of God, right? 
But they were not doing that. So they were not following the details. But Exodus chapter 22 says what they are to do with these kinds of animals. Look at what it says in verse 31. Be my holy people. You must not eat the meat of a mauled animal found in the field. Throw it to the dogs. So if you have an animal that's sick, you have one that's lame, you have one that's, that's, uh, that's having all kinds of struggles, what, what are they to do with that animal? What does the text say? Throw it to the dogs. But what were the people doing? They were bringing it to worship. Folks, listen to me. They were bringing dog food to their worship, okay? They were giving their leftovers. We don't want this anyway. Let's just give it to God. And God was saying, no, I have no part of that. I see what you're doing. I see it's a matter of your heart. So we have this idea for us as a living sacrifice. Even though it's not laying before the altar an animal, we now have a calling to lay our lives before him. And so let me ask you, church family, is sacrifice still something that we should be considering? Is it something that should be a part? If we, if we really want to, to, to follow Romans 12, if we really want our walk with the Lord to come alive, I think we would be looking at ourselves and asking, where am I called to make a sacrifice? Where am I called to make sure that I'm not conforming to the world, its thinking, its teaching, its ways, but instead following after the Lord, even, even if that's not what is popular? It calls us to evaluate each of our activities, each of our relationships, and to see how can they be opportunities to be a living sacrifice. Let me give an illustration. In my, my first full-time ministry role, Karen and I moved to St. Joseph, Missouri, north of Kansas City, by about an hour, and uh, uh, served in a, a local church there. I was a student pastor, and I was also responsible for the discipleship ministries, and I uh, had the opportunity to work with a, with a lay leader. He was what was called at that time as the Sunday school director. And uh, we were in the process of trying to get all of the uh, rosters for our classes put onto a computer. We wanted to be able to do attendance and have all the contact information. And I know you're thinking, wait a minute, on a computer. Well, this was 1996, okay? So believe it or not, that was just something that we were doing at that church in the mid-90s was to, to get things onto a computer. And he said, well, let's set up this little office here, and uh, uh, we've got a computer that we can begin putting the information in. And he said, you know what? I've got a computer desk too. He said, we just got a new one at home. We've got another one that we don't need anymore, and I'll bring that up to the office and we can get everything set up, and we can start getting the, the, the records put in. And so I said, Harold, wow, that's, that's really generous of you, and thank you for, for doing that, and that'll help, help get things ready. And then a little bit of time passed, and I walked by, the, uh, by this new Sunday school office, and I looked in, and he'd brought the desk, and he'd had it all put together, and the computer was in it, just fit perfectly. And I looked at that desk, and I told, told Harold, I said, Harold, first of all, thank you for, for, for bringing this and, and, and giving this desk, but... Wow, if this, is your, if this is your old one, I'd really like to come by your house and see, see your new desk. And, and he, he looked up at me and he said, well, Ryan, he said, you know, I got to thinking about, about bringing a desk and giving it to the Lord and giving it to the church. And I just had to bring the new one. You know, that other one's going to be just fine for us. And so this is actually our new desk. And I know that, that may seem like a small thing in some ways, but for me as a, as a young minister hearing 
that type of commitment and that conviction that he had, knowing that nobody else knew what was happening, this was just him and the Lord, I just want to say that was a, that was a holy moment for me. And I've asked myself over the years, do I have a spirit like Harold's? Am I willing to have that type of, of commitment, even a, a level of sacrifice? God, give me, give me that kind of spirit like Harold's. Well, that's the call, total commitment. Secondly, we look at the process also here in verse 2. And the process is to be transformed. A powerful idea that comes out of verse 2 is that when we follow the call to commitment, God changes us. He transforms us. He takes us, yes, from where we are, but he works to create us more into his image, his likeness. Sometimes we use the phrase sanctification to grow in Christ-likeness, to be set apart from where we were to what he wants us to become. Now we see that that transformation there is mentioned in the middle of verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And so we, 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 we see this idea of, of, of not conforming, that there, there is a world out there, and if you look at verse 2, you'll see the, the, the phrase, this world, and it's in this context not speaking of just the soil and the oceans and the, the creation, it's speaking more about the pattern of the world the ideas of the world. In fact, in the, in the Greek word that's used here, I was looking at it this week, there, there's even that, this, this root word for schemes that's used there. Like the schemes, the plans, the patterns, the ideas. And let me just ask you, does the world have its own set of patterns and ideas? Of course it does. We see it. In fact, we even see it changing on a regular basis. So the, the admonition here from Paul is, don't get sucked into that. Don't be conformed to that. But instead, be transformed. We have to live carefully. That we don't get trapped in and molded by the schemes, the patterns, the thinking of the world. But instead, that we cling to the Word of God. We cling to the, the Holy Spirit which resides, who resides within us, that longs to make changes, to pull us off from the, the thinking, those default settings of, of the worldly systems and ideas, and instead to think, as we've been reminded throughout the book of Romans, what truth is all about. So we live carefully. We are to be salt and light. We're not to lose our distinctiveness within the world. We're, we're to be we're to be evidence of God's grace at work. We are, to be, we are to be a lighthouse for a community and a people that are, that are in need of, 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 of God's mercy and His truth. But thinking and living in a way that is different from the ways and thoughts of the world doesn't come naturally, and we know that it's not easy. That's part of the sacrifice. And I know in particular it applies to all of us, but I think about our young people. Our young people being pulled back and forth to different ideologies, different even changing morals and values that are happening around us and, and trying to be anchored to the truth. So difficult. Here's how one commentator, Cornelius Plantinga, explained it. 
says that this is not something that is a natural tendency. He says we do not want suffering. We want success. We identify not with those who are low and hurt, but with those who are high and healthy. We don't like lepers or losers very well. We prefer climbers and comers. For Christians, the temptation to be conformed to this world is desperately sweet and strong. Yet, says the Apostle Paul, we are children of God if we suffer with Christ. So again, I want to make that emphasis that when we say we're going to, to, to respond to the mercy of God in a way to be transformed, it will involve sacrifice. We don't expect the world out there to applaud the direction that we have chosen to take. That's the sacrifice. But he reminds us, the end of the quote here says, God does not give his hardest assignments to his weakest children. It's all part of the preparation for that call to live in full commitment. Well, again, let's think about this word transformed in verse 2. It's telling us that there is a change that is taking place. And the, the source of this word for, for transformed is, is really the Greek word for metamorphosis. And we think about the idea of, of something like a caterpillar changing into a butterfly, that we are changed from the inside out. That's the picture of life in Christ, that he, is, he has made us new, that, that positionally from the very beginning of our walk with Christ, we are positionally saved. We are given new life. It's his righteousness that's credited to us. But we also see that there is a growth that begins at that point, a metamorphosis, a change that changes us into what he wants us to become. This is that transforming work of the Spirit. And the only way that this will happen is for us to submit ourselves. And I know that the natural way is to, is to at times, fight against the work of the Spirit. At times, the, the natural thing is to, uh, to, to think in ways different than what the Word of God is communicating. We, 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 we have these, these challenges around us, but yet the call is to submit and to allow His Spirit to work, to allow His Word to nourish us. And in doing so, this transformation leads to a renewal of your mind. I'm not going to take that topic this morning. I'm going to take that one, Lord willing, next week. Because the way we think as Christians is so important. And part of this process of, of renewal includes the mind. And so that will be our, our, our theme picking back up on this next week. But we see the call. The call is to be totally committed. We see the process to be transformed. And then finally, number three, we see the outcome. And what is it? It's to honor God. That all of this comes to a crescendo where we look at our lives and say, we want to glorify Him. We want to honor Him in all that we do, wherever we are. We want Christ to be at the center of it. And we want Him to be pleased. In fact, that's the word that's used there. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. You know, that, that could be a sermon all in itself, couldn't it? For us to ask ourselves, are we pleasing? Are we living a life that is pleasing? Do we desire 
to please God. You see, if, if that's the, the way we wake up in the morning and the way we, we look at life and say, what can I do today, Lord, that's going to please you? In my home, in my marriage, as a parent, as a grandparent, as a, as a, as a worker, as a worshiper. Lord, how can this day be lived in such a way to please you? What a, what a, a great, great thought for us. The idea of bringing pleasure to God. Again, we're talking about a response to mercy. In Paul's writing, let's have something that pleases God. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says, Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to Him. Paul writes this other verse to encourage us to have that as part of our thinking day by day, longing to please Him. I was also thinking of another verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 15. It says, For to God we are the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. Have you thought of your identity that way? That you are the fragrance of Christ? That in this transformation process, His life being lived through you, that it is an aroma that's pleasing to God, but it's also something distinct in this world? This aroma of life, an aroma of grace, an aroma of compassion, an aroma of truth, that all of this from Him is what permeates throughout our body and into our community and ultimately as an offering up to the Lord. But there's one more outcome I'd like for us to consider there in verse 2. It says that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, how often in our daily life are we thinking about God's will? Sometimes it's a struggle. Lord, help me to understand, is this your will? Do I do this or do I do that? What's your direction for me? What's your will? I don't know how many conversations I've had with people through the years about this very topic. At times they struggle to know what is the will of God. Why do we struggle with that? Because we want to please Him. We just talked about that. We want to do this. That if we are totally committed to Him, one of the outcomes, yes, we will please Him, but we will also, we will also be living in His will. We'll understand it. We'll see it. We'll live it. That's part of His blessing. So as I wrap this up, conclude the message, let me ask a couple of questions that I think are good for us to consider for application. Here's the first one. Have you considered lately your response to the mercy of God? Think of God's mercy. Ponder it. Dwell upon it. And think about your response to His mercy. Secondly, is there anything holding you back from a total commitment? Is there anything out there that's keeping you from being fully sold out to Him? Something there that is keeping you from that full commitment. And the final question is this. If all of this requires change, this idea of metamorphosis, can you identify an area where the Spirit is making changes? Do you see an area of growth? Do you see a new understanding of who He is? Based, on, based obviously, out of the Word. What is the change? Because 
for us as believers, that's something that will happen all the way through. It's not like we ever walk across the stage and we've graduated from Christian growth, right? I mean, we continue to grow. We continue to mature. And I, I pray that these questions can help us really take Romans 12, 1 and 2 and seek to apply it in our own lives. Again, what's the aim? The aim is to respond to the mercy of God with a full-hearted commitment to Christ. Amen.